Hello. Welcome to Planet Psycom. We are Planet Psycom, which is a planet that talks about Psycom. It is Sarah, Jason, and Patrick. And I give you the reintroduction because it has been a minute since we did one of these because so much life has happened over the past few months. So what we're going to do at the beginning here is, yeah, we're just going to catch up and see where everybody's at and then talk about what we've done and seen and learned about Psycom in the past however many months. So I'm just going to kick it over to Sarah because I know that you're doing something cool. Uh, am I? Well, okay. Yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> I am on sabbatical this year. So my Psycom journey has been uh, very research focused and related. I spent some time at Stellenbosch University in South Ooh. Africa uh, this summer with Dr. Marina Joubert. Um, she is one of the editors of the Journal of Science Communication, and we've known each other through the um, Public Communication of Science and Technology PCST network for a while. So uh, it was really nice to spend time with her talking about research, catching up, and then um, a couple of other things. So I've been uh, focused primarily on research, thinking, writing some new grants, finishing out some papers. I've also been, uh, we talked before we started recording about uh, a new kind of paper, Patrick, I'm I'm very interested to hear that. Jason, I wanted to follow up also about your reproducible manuscript. Yes. Uh, and that I want to hear how that's going. Uh, yeah, so I've been diving a little more into kind of uh, reproducible methods, I suppose. Uh, yeah, in, in sort of writing and... Um, like in journal article preparation and things like that, but quite interested in open science. Oh, I guess, no, 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 no. We must have recorded an episode since then, but um, we at the University of Utah have a, I have a new colleague, Dr. Isabel Freiling, who does research on misinformation and also uh, open science uh, in communication. And so we have been talking a lot about that. It's been very fun. Uh, for her to be here. She moved from the University of Vienna uh, and so is very enamored with Utah, which we love. Uh, and actually, we should have her on at some point, maybe. Let's do it. So, Sarah, I have a naive question. It's a joke question, but it's actually not a joke. Um, <laughs> being from a national lab, what is this sabbatical which of which you speak? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes. Um, so as a tenured faculty member, I, I think I can apply for a sabbatical, either a semester or a year, every something like seven years at the University of Utah. I think it, it differs at different institutions, maybe. Um, but it is time off from uh, my teaching responsibilities and my service related responsibilities. So those are just kind of the the, the running of the department uh, at a university and uh, time for me, I'm choosing it to, to I'm choosing to spend it doing research. Most faculty choose to spend their sabbaticals doing research. Um, but what that project might be can look very different. Sometimes uh, people move to different universities and different places. Um, I'm doing what my friends have now called a staybatical where I am mostly in Salt Lake City and then uh, traveling once in a while. So I was at Stellenbosch University 
Um, I will be going to the Middle East at the end of the year. So I'm trying to find some connections in Cairo. Uh, cool. And then I'll be also visiting my parents in Malaysia. And so hopefully I'll get some time in Singapore with awesome. friend Shirley. That Hope. sounds rad. Yeah. That yeah. sounds super cool. Hey, stay badical. So I'm, I'm kind of finishing up some projects and then working on writing proposals for new projects. So that's my research. Some people work on like book length stuff and I'm just not a book writer. I think I would get bored writing, you know, great, great, like so much respect to people who can write books, but I would just get bored because I'm just like squirrel. Oh, same. I have a, co yeah. I have a colleague, uh, uh, who I follow on Facebook and um, was on a sabbatical for like a year. And apparently all they did was uh, travel around the world and uh, scuba dive at different places. But so, so that's I what they posted on Facebook. So. I've recently discovered I'm doing the sabbatical thing incorrectly. Apparently I'm spending too much time working. So it's funny because my day-to-day -day has not really changed. Like when I'm in town, my day-to-day -day doesn't change, right? I, I get up, mm -hmm. my coffee, I go, go work all like every day, every weekday that, you know, um, so that hasn't really changed. So I think I'm not doing it correctly if i'm understanding what my colleagues who have had sabbaticals are saying they're sort of like well uh i think you're supposed to do more fun things and i'm like but, yeah but this so is kind of in fun. grads in grad school my uh my my graduate pi had a year-long sabbatical and so he moved his family to the french alps and his son learned french and that wow. was his and he i'm sure he did research which i'm currently putting in air quotes but he definitely was just <laughs> in france oh. research research on which kinds of cheese were the best right yes. yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah i will exactly. note down which in my heights? notebook day 325 <laughs> tried a new cheese today very systematic <laughs> it was amazing yeah and the wine the wine pairing <laughs> right. are important yeah Ca captain's log camembert has been supplanted as the best cheese <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, what have you guys been up to? Patrick, Jason, come on. Oh, I want to know about how Jason already got nine papers this year. Oh, my Did God. Nine papers? Nine papers? Uh, if you look on your Google... It's October. It's only yeah, month you, 10 uh, of 2023. How did you do this? If you look on your Google Scholar, man, you got nine from 2023 already. Wow. Okay. So I'll let you in on a secret. I didn't write all of those papers. Big secret. Blast for me. Um, Blast I know. So, <laughs> so what? What? Uh, what has? Well, let's see. What has happened over the last six or seven years as I'm moving in? I got invited to um, participate in a mid-career Slack, which is pretty awesome, actually. Um, I haven't been able to participate a lot, and the person who asked, you know, say, "Oh, you want to, you know, participate in this mid-career Slack?" I had to be like. Am I really mid-career though? I feel like I'm moving into like almost a almost the next stage, which I won't I won't say is you know late <laughs> career, but um forever but early like, no, career. No, you're totally in mid-career, right? Um so uh partly a function of national labs, partly a function of the, the kind of work that I do, computational biology, in that I'm I'm a part of a lot of different large projects that are all part of their task and objective is to write papers. And so um, like at least it, what I'm doing is providing an advisory role on like, I have been 
with the you know the study from kind of the inception and and gone through the planning stages and I haven't done a lot of the actual work on it but I've been there advising and then I have gone through the paper as it's being developed and provided suggestions and guidance well, and work. that kind of thing yeah totally. so so that's partly the productivity has been um has been because of that yeah that's fair also i yeah. mean i happen to have some a little background knowledge of some of these papers and i have looked at the authors list and i know that you're working with some rock stars <laughs> so well that's that's, a, that's amazing yeah i mean nine yeah. people, my goodness Ugh. yeah i mean i i think i've got two out this year and like four more in review but who knows if they'll come out this year or next year yeah like you're you're crushing it okay now i have to look because i don't even think i have anything this year <laughs> who knows but jason aside from papers not that that's anything mm. to you know turn your nose up at how's uh how's red pen black pen and your other psycom endeavors um with so, all that copious uh, free time you have you know right it, yeah exactly <laughs> uh so red pen black pen has been um languishing a bit uh and it's partly because i'm i'm riding the glorious flaming twitter x train down to the ground um <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it is interesting how the dynamics have changed such that i get a lot less engagement on my posts hmm. so for a while i was getting to the point where i could pretty reasonably say a lot of the you know comics or cartoons i'd post have you know 10 to 15 kind of retweets um you know with some of them going up into the 50s and 100s right those are the the good ones um it's hard to tell if it, that's actually twitter's demise or just my uh kind of have being distracted on lots of other things and not putting out a lot of content so uh i find that that hasn't been happening um as much and um i used to use tweetdeck uh, which is a way that you can organize lots and lots of columns of Twitter, even across different um, uh, different accounts. Um, and that was really effective for me. And I'd worked out ways of doing that. And then they put it behind a paywall and I was like, oh, oh interesting. Yeah. Harsh. Um, and it's all, it, at this point, it is not even about the cost of you know, eventually the cost of of being on Twitter maybe, or the cost of paying for TweetDeck. Um, if it were another service, I would probably do that, but I just have a lot of problems with um, the head of Twitter. So I'm gonna call it Twitter just to make it mad because he's gonna listen to this podcast, you know. Right, That's right. right. Yeah. Those yeah, guys. Yeah, it's an interesting, so I actually, name. I've been wondering like, what is the new new Twitter, right? What is that new? And And like, when I say that it's, I think maybe in contrast a little bit to Facebook, that Facebook is a more personal, right? Where Twitter has this more professional aura around it. And I'm wondering if link, I've seen a lot more activity on LinkedIn. Oh, uh, LinkedIn, yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely not Mastodon. And that's the thing. It's like in Mastodon, I believe you have to join these communities, right? And so then it's these like silos of communities. I, I, think, I think, I'm not sure. I actually haven't explored Mastodon because I don't social media. 
Yeah, it just looks like a high barrier to entry. Hmm. Uh, Blue Sky is actually pretty good, but it doesn't have a huge amount of... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's by invite only, and when you get invited, then you start to get invite codes, and so... I mean, isn't that yeah. the problem, though? Like, it's by invite only, and so you're, again, just amplified. It's limited. Yeah. Yeah, it's very limited. I think they're trying... I don't know. I mean, I... My guess is that they're rolling that off of beta and they're going to like open mm-hmm. it up to everybody at, at some point. Um, Threads mm-hmm. was like really exciting, like the day after it launched and everybody was like, oh my gosh, I got, you know, 200 followers already. And it's because it basically just ported all your Instagram followers over. Um, and it has been very, very silent, I would say. There are people mm-hmm. who are posting on it. Um, there's some sci artists who post pretty regularly and i was posting my stuff because i try to post cross-platform but it really is very quiet yeah it's it's kind of weird um actually i mean i still use twitter and i still like i still value the parts of it that are that i think some of it's still there um i don't i don't want to be like oh my god it's like completely crashed and burned but it has there's well, there's a lot of things that have yeah gone way down i think but also i mean this is extra time for you as a content creator right to share your the things that you're putting out there in the world you have to go on blue sky you have to go on twitter you yes. have to go on all these other things you know it's such a yeah 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 it it's yeah it's a pain i mean it's once i get some content and have an idea of what like what i'm going to post most of the platforms have i mean so I've been trying to like enforce on myself alt text because that's really important for mm. visual stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's something that a lot of my artist friends have been kind of like sometimes, you know, admonishing like, hey, you guys don't post alt text on your in this really limits, you know, the kinds of people you can reach. And I'm like, that's a great point. And alt text is super easy. Um, Wait, and, so can you, you explain know, more? For- oh, yeah, sorry. Alt text is so uh, like Twitter has a has a a length of text that you can attach as a post. Although that's changed a little bit recently too. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a paid for account, I think you can only post however many characters. Um, and alt text is a label you can put on images that you post. Each image gets and it's fairly long because some images are complex so it's like 1500 characters or something and it's just you it's not general with most platforms it's not super easy to find but it's also not super hard if you click on the image as you're posting it it sometimes brings up a box that says you know add your alt text um blue sky has a nice feature where as as a an account i can force blue sky to ask me for alt text alt text when I post a uh, an image. And then the alt text is basically just like, it's a four panel comic. In the first com- panel, there's a figure that says this. And then the second panel comic, there's a nuclear explosion. And then, the, you know, whatever. Um, and so it gives, uh, and if it's just a single image, of course you can describe the single image. It's a dog playing with a cute cat and both of them are on a marshmallow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, so that's, 
it, and it's nice because then people who are um, site limited or otherwise uh, are not using visual means to to access the social media platform can find out what the you know what's being posted. Gotcha. Um, All right. I think Jason. I think Jason. You've just pointed out well, who we need to talk to in a Elon future. Musk? No, decidedly not. <laughs> Good. Okay. No, but somebody who does um, SciComm and uh, works for accessibility. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that'd be great. Because, I mean, as you pointed out with alt text, right, that is one of the big things that it's used for is accessibility. And accessibility in SciComm should be huge. Yeah. And I think that that would be potentially a good person if we could find him to talk to. Yeah. And I mean, there's, it, it kind of runs the gamut from all the way from what I would say high level SciComm, which is, you know, more on the communication side, all the way to heavy science, right? So one of the things that I've struggled with is remembering when I'm creating figures to use palettes that are compatible. Oh, sure. Yeah. People, uh, colorblind who can distinguish and I don't always do it. And it's something that is very simple to do. There's lots of tools why. to do it. Yeah. I, I no, it's good they're to not very attractive, like color wise. I, yes. And so sometimes yeah. I'm like, ooh, I don't like those. Yeah. But also in our journals, we're just like black and white. So grace. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I had it. Yeah, I had um I had a PI who I worked with who was totally colorblind. And anytime you made a figure, he would just be like, Cool, can't read it, go remake it. I'm like, fair. You know what? You're right. right. Like I should have right. used dashes instead of blue. Well, and I mean, so in, in R, there are these co like colorblind friendly palettes, right? There's a whole mm -hmm. series of palettes yep. that you can just like uh, color palettes that you can apply to your graphs. Um, but they do, I think, for you know, they're just kind of odd colors sometimes. Like sometimes they don't show up as well, you know, um, like contrast yeah. a white background and things like this. And so I often wonder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should do that. We should do that. We should have that. Um, like you know, another it's... another topic that's been I would say exploding over since the last time we talked a bit about chat GPT and kind of the AI tools and stuff, um, especially in the online art community. And this includes science artists, the kind of war over AI generated images and figures is, is oh, really exploding. And it's yep. because most, I will say not, maybe not all, but most of the AI generating, you know, the uh, image generating tools hmm. have scraped images from the internet. And yeah. and a lot of artists are like, I didn't Consent. want my images to be used that way. And people can, for example, uh, some platforms have limited this, but they it could it, at one point it was where you could type in the name of a living artist and say, I want a picture that's like this, right? And then AI would give you 10 images that looked a lot like the, you know, living, working, right, uh, feeding their family yeah. artist. Yep. Um, oh, that's and it's interesting because I've 
uh, I'm serving on an AI uh, council for PNNL um, for my work, and they're uh, using AI generated figures in some of the presentations. And so I was noting that, which is there's nothing wrong with it. It's just interesting because I was noting it as like, oh, of course they are. That's the AI council, so they're generating some figures with with AI. But it's like it's becoming a lot more of a tool and it, it's interesting be interesting to think about how it intersects with you know science communication because yeah. i think some of the pushback on that especially at this stage has been that it's easy for figures to miss ai generated figures to miss the point right oh that looks really cool mm-hmm. there's all this detail and everything and then you kind of start to look at it and you're like, that, that doesn't really convey the meaning of what they are trying to get across, right? Which is totally. something that a artist right now has to do. And maybe in Interesting. you know another year, that won't be the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't use much generative AI in my day to day. I sort of forget that it is even there, you know, like I kind of like don't think about yeah. it that way, I guess. Um, but then there are some things where it's like, oh, this is actually quite useful in that it is good enough to create a skeleton of something. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But yep. it's not actually good enough to create the final product of that something because I just don't know how AI could ever have that knowledge of, right? Like, totally. I know yeah. what I want to write about X. Um, and in full disclosure, sometimes I use these to, to write like long emails or like recommendation letters, right? Yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. but, but those kinds of rote, uh, sort of easy things to do, right? It, and it really does, um, I think the recommendation letter might be the best example. It just gives you a really good skeleton of something. Right. And then you go in and you change it anyway. Right, right, I mean, right. And I understand that some people may not change that, but like there's no way the AI could know what I wanted to write about this individual. There's no prompt that I could put in that conveys all the information that I possibly wanted to include about this individual right right and so while it provides the skeleton of something and i could just use a template that i have from before which is essentially the the same idea right yeah but i do like a little bit of that like oh there's something different from what you wrote before right i mean i right i get tired of reading the same template every single time but you know that's what also a lot then of I want to play with the generative AI and I'm like, oh, this is a good way to play with it. That's pretty safe. And like, I know I'm going to change, some, you know, change a lot of it. And I would say I end up changing probably 70% of what it writes. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. basically it's the the front end and the back end, right? That is like the, the boilerplate language. Um, yeah. So. A lot of colleagues of mine have been using that for resume and cover letter building. Yeah, because there's also um, you can also tell chat GPT that you want it to respond like this type of person or with this level of critique or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as you you tailor what you're asking it to do, you can get a solid starting spot. But it's true, though, you still have to go back and uh, edit it pretty thoroughly because inevitably it might convey the information, but the tone and nuance will be utterly right. wrong and or yes. lacking. 
Yeah. I do. I guess I will say I have used this um, app called Research Rabbit. It's a website. And it, I've heard that. Yeah. Right. So I, think, I haven't used it yet, but yeah. So I found it kind of useful because it does do a lot of this, you know, crawling of the web for you. And so you what it is, is um, it's a tool where you can import your reference libraries. So all the journal articles that you have in your reference library, oh, wow. Zotero, you can import particular Zotero um, libraries and you can either select all the papers in there. Uh, or a couple of them that you're interested in, and it'll and you can click on this button that says like, give me um, articles that came before this that are cited in it. Give me articles that came after, you know, after this particular one that's cited, um, or uh, give me related articles, and it brings up this kind of network uh, of of related articles and that has been pretty useful to click through in its like sort of visual format right instead of going to something like google scholar where you put in right. you, know, you search for a topic you find an article and then you search within you can search the articles that are related or cite that cite that particular um piece so i think this is a little bit more maybe a little bit more efficient um, there's still a lot of human labor in this, right? In that you have to go through and make read these articles. You have to go through and like just vet them, you know, because I, again, I don't know where they're coming from, but it has been pretty uh, useful to. I can, I can really see that as a great introductory teaching tool at the beginning of grad school, because when you're just trying to get into a field and you don't have, you know, 12 years or 14 or 20 years of experience and you're like well i know what all of the papers that contributed right. to this field are yeah. that would be such that would have been such a useful starting spot to break into something without having to be like hey guys what 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 paper should i read today well but i and i think like in terms of value there's a lot of value in that because it doesn't it's not um it's discipline agnostic right it's, mm -hmm. it's to some extent i think it's discipline agnostic because it's searching you know Certainly, there's some kinds of disciplinary bias because it'll be searching for authors who are related to these other authors who have, you know, written the paper who tend to be in very similar disciplines. Yeah. But I also sometimes see like when it searches topic wise that you're you're looking across like from communication to education, for example. Right. I mean, I think one of the critiques in science communication and, and in science education is that there's not a lot of crossover from informal science education and communication. And so, you know, um, where does this is, happen? Is there a way to make it sort of feedback so that what you look for becomes better over time? Or is that not question. built in? Okay. That's a good Yeah. I mean, well, just wondering. There's, con there's the way that I understand it is with like ChatGPT and some of the other tools is you can, you know, within the context of a conversation, you can ask it, like it, it gives you something and you can say, hey, I actually, I wanted something that was a little bit more like this, or, mm. and it will take what it output and, and update it. So I've seen lots of examples of that, but you're asking for a little bit more continuity. You're asking for like, I, you know, the last time we spoke, I was interested in this, and now I'm a little bit more interested in that. Um, that seems like something that they're probably working on, kind of more of those like customized or not customized, but like personalized um, experiences. I mean, so as far as I know, for now, it it's not paywalled. 
So this is another sort of open tool that one can use. My, Who give it, knows? Give, give it, it two it months. Give it two maybe. months. My, yeah. uh... <laughs> but, you know, frankly, if that happens, right, am I going to pay for it? Probably not. I don't <clears throat> use it that often, right? In fact, and maybe this is a function of like having been trained in the way that we didn't have generative AI tools, right, when we were in grad school, at least not at our fingertips. If it existed, we didn't know about it. And so the I I mean, I remember as an undergraduate going to the library, crazy idea, going to the library to look at the periodicals. Right. And to pull out yeah. a physical journal and photocopy it so I could read it when I got and just like, yeah, reams of paper, you know, and and microfiche. I had to go through. Oh, the yeah. Machine and like print those out. Whoever is listening has like, you know. Right. If they're they're under a certain age. They're like, what the heck is my? <laughs> they're not going to know what library. we're talking about. But yeah, <laughs> you know, I still remember that. And so this like Google Scholar alone is just it's such crazy. a valuable yeah. tool, you know. And I I'm sort of like I, I can you imagine what it would have been like to just like in your academic sort of coming of age only know google scholar and never have known going to a library or like and then now like coming of age with generative ai tools that essentially cut that process of searching and vetting you know that just compresses that that's yeah so you brought up a really good point right there sarah that i want to sort of jump on which is that generative AI could theoretically change the searching and vetting process. I wonder if we're then going to see an influence because there's um, an influence in types of research that come out and quality of research that comes out. Because, I mean, you've seen, I'm sure, what's happened with just massive paper mills putting papers in various publishers who I'm not going to call out being called predatory and some that I didn't even realize were being called predatory are now. And, you know, if you have this ability to just pull whatever from wherever it's really on the reader or the scholar to determine the validity and utility of what they're reading. So I think that in one way, while it make, might make things easier, it also puts up a different barrier to entry yeah, I think the training is different, right? Um, the training of how you vet that. And and maybe yeah. it's not different. Maybe it is about like, because I mean, presumably our graduate training was about rigor and what's reliable and how to tell, you know, what's what's applicable to whatever we're we're studying and not, right? And and theoretically. Theoretically. But was that valid. yeah, was that yeah. actually taught directly? I don't know. It wasn't to me. I mean, no. I did get it. I got yeah, it yeah. from through my, you know, working with my uh, advisor and kind of hands-on Yeah, training, and that's yeah. the thing. I'm not sure it's yeah. a class. I think it's a process it's, of learning, but, you know. But even before generative AI, I noticed that um, there, the school, the, the K-12 school curriculum is including a lot more of that. Um, so it's including like, okay, so you've Googled your topic. How do you figure out which of the links is the best link to use and like almost I don't know how much of that was explicit because I don't yeah but I saw some of that happening in what my kids are being taught I think that's new right because when I was yeah. in school or you know the like 
I used a computer for homework, but it wasn't like the, I mean, I saw dial up internet. I can still remember the sound, right? But like, yep. you know, I used it for, I used it for MS Paint. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, we're getting very off topic. So we've been talking about generative AI for like oh, minutes right. now, but we're supposed <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Oh. Um, okay. Uh, so I was, when I, ta I was talking about what I've been, what I've been doing, right? Was that where we were? Okay, so I, I only have a couple of other things. Um, I am active and involved. I might have no, might have mentioned this before. Um, we have a really cool program. We have a really cool like publishing and communications uh, group at PNNL that's like paid to help with this kind of stuff. Um, and they have over the last couple of years have a storytelling effort, which is specifically about how to tell your science story. And so I gave a talk last year at their at their summit. And this year, their summit is happening Tuesday through Thursday. And I'm uh, giving a couple of talks there. So that's that's really awesome. That's uh, rad. Um, yeah, really, it's a, I'm glad to hear that storytelling is being incorporated now because, you know, looking at the old style of papers, you have this sometimes this interesting little sing-song cadence and then i got really sterile in the 70s 80s and 90s and yeah. if we can you know return to something that gets people going and gets them invested in it i feel like you're going to have better knowledge retention yeah totally and and i really i'm really happy that my institution has dedicated some effort to this and kind of trying to get more scientists thinking about it not just scientists it's also for the communications you know group and people who are more you know on the on the calm side um but yeah it's a great it's a great program and um i'm excited for this summit i'm hoping i'll be able to make most of it uh and i'm giving a talk one of the talks i'm giving so i'm participating in a session that's about visual storytelling right so i'm coming from the scientist perspective, but having kind of visual type brain and uh, handing it off to an illustrator who's works as an illustrator. Um, you know, basically, how do you how do you get your ideas, your science ideas ready to hand off to an illustrator who can you not hand off actually iteratively work through ideas for figures and that kind of thing. So that's that is cool. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that that is a different type of communication than any of us do regularly. Uh, Except maybe Jason within your own brain. You're like, I'm the within, scientist. Now I'm doing red pen, yeah. black pen. Right. Yeah. And, but I do, but, but that there's a continuum because when I'm trying to figure out papers or when I'm trying to give a science presentation, oftentimes that's where the, that's where that starts to blend, right? Like I have strong visual ideas and not everybody does, but I have like, oh, I know, you know, I, I don't necessarily know right from the start, like how I want to present something, but I know that the way that I work is by putting something down, being like, no, that's not quite right. Move this thing around. How does the flow work? You know, that kind of thing. So, but, but it's interesting because you know, some people are not visual thinkers or or don't think of themselves as that way. Sometimes they just haven't, haven't explored it. That's yeah. Fair. And then the other one is really fun because it's about rejection. <laughs> it's about how to handle peer review. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, and I'm basically just taking, I'm I just taking all like, 
it's all red pen, black pen comics because I've done so many comics about peer review and rejection. And um, so I think that'll be fun and it'll be kind of practical. I like, wish I had how do you a, read? an artistic outlet to express what I have recently been experiencing with some journals. Uh, is it is that not a rage room? No. <laughs> Um, I think my poor colleagues, my collaborators have to listen to my, are my rage room, essentially my this Zoom room where we're talking about these like letters that you might get from edit editors or editorial uh. staff that are just like a crazy. Yeah, I, I think the issues that I've been experiencing with the publication process really underscore the difficulty in getting reviewers and somehow yeah. I think has gotten worse since COVID. Agreed. Yeah, totally agreed. And I wonder if it's about like, I don't want to spend my time, you know, the precious time that I have reviewing. Um, I, I don't know. There's something is different that, about this process recently that I have been. And, and even then, you know, the, 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 the editorial staff, the emails that I get in response are, they're just had some very bizarre experience. Like mistakes were made where the wrong template email was sent out to the authors. And, but the problem is the wrong template email said something about like, oh, there has been an ethical breach, but then they were, you know, and they were like, oh, no, sorry. Somebody sent out the wrong. Whoa. This is, this is an, yeah. well, I, I don't know. So so this is something that I've also just seen. Um, there's a, a position open at one of the PLOSs. I want to say it's PLOS Biology. Hmm. And they're looking for an editor, like a high-level editor, not the chief, but you know, high enough that you've actually got to pay attention. And it's a paid position. And it can be remote in like 20 different U.S. states. And I have no idea how they decided that. But the pay range is, right? it's what? Taxes. It's tax related. I think where you can be. Sure. It's like, I think that state, because I, I do think there are some jobs that are like, you can be remote, but you can't be in these states. That's fair. But the point is that the pay range is so low oh. that you're not going to get wow. necessarily somebody who will impart the level of rigor that you would expect. Oh. And I mean, we're talking like, starting at 60k wow and which i mean like in our this is this is the privilege right you we should offer a range because 60k for some is not 60k not, for some well yeah when i started as a postdoc i was so excited about not making eighteen thousand dollars a year anymore <laughs> but you know for for sometimes what's expected especially in the u.s with the rate of inflation like these the numbers need to keep increasing to make sure that people can lead a viable existence right. theoretically on the income which has been offered, you know, and it also means that they're going to be competing with industry. And if you're competing with industry, 60K is not a competition. Yeah. I so, mean, uh, the academic world doesn't, isn't really competitive, right, with the industry. I don't know. No, it's we, sort of a weird, like people go into academia for the other perks, I think, not. It's true. Not we the a, not the pay. <laughs> yeah, we had an editor for a recent paper in PLOS One, and the editor, the handling editor, is a postdoc. Oh wow! Wow. But I mean, 
I mean, not that that person didn't do a good job. They right, did right. fine. We got reviews. It was whatever. It's just I like it's getting harder, right? To find associate yeah. actors. It's oh, yeah. To replace yeah. actors. It's <clears throat> to find reviewers. And plus one specifically, the volume of papers that they deal with, right? Like they publish a lot. And that's kind of the point is that is that they're publishing reasonable papers, papers that meet scientific rigor, but they don't uh, necessarily have to have the, you know, earth shaking impact that that other journals might might require, but they must earth shaking impact. I mean, let's be real here. Yeah, like, I know we're talking about earth shaking impact. Academia. Exactly. <laughs> I think like as academics, we take ourselves too seriously. We're just like, oh, my work is so important. Well, some yeah. of us, not all. Earth, earth shaking is that there's, you know, at least two colleagues said, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. Oh, 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 oh. There you go. Whoa, nice my gosh. Felt, yeah. it's, it. it's earth shaking in that when I collapsed from exhaustion after writing it, the earth shook. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, all right. We are at, what are we at? What are we at? Let's see. How are 40. we doing time here? Oh, gosh, 40 minutes. We haven't even got to Patrick. I'm not that Let's exciting. Go. Let's go. Oh, oh, it's me? Okay, well, <laughs> here we go. Uh, what has happened? Um, lots of things. Well, Sarah and I got to meet in person, and that was I know, cool. That because, was crazy. Well, she absolutely crushed a session at ASM Microbe in June in Houston, Texas. Oh, it's really hot. It was so hot. Houston, so hot. And then we had to so walk hot. to dinner, and I'm just like, why am I? What? Why? Why? Oh, yeah. No, I was a melting hippo for a week. It was not the best. But it was a good conference. And I mean, I feel like the session was fine. It got some good questions, like people did the thing and it's more more psychom than there's been in recent years and there's a push for that more and more which is pretty rad um i'm seeing it a lot this year so another thing that happened was i moved Wait, from a what yes before we move on to that can i just say uh, so the the session was in the exhibit hall they had these little smaller kind of areas for various sessions um for the various are they areas divisions interest groups what are they called tracks like, tracks so for the various tracks they had different um little areas but the exhibit hall had the best swag of any like calm conferences terrible swag terrible swag and apparently i'm still on the swag train like i <laughs> love walking around exhibit halls and getting free stuff that's how i get all my that notes. i never will use of course right oh of course I love no. the free <laughs> stuff anyway the sweat they were giving free beer away free beer what yes free beer uh free oh, coffee gosh. they had those fancy like espresso yeah yeah tea. there's all kinds of yeah. good stuff yeah you just had to go really, to the aluminum booth yeah i was really looking for eppendorf because when i was a grad student so eppendorf is a pipette company a pipette is this scientific tool that you an instrument that you use to transfer liquids very small amounts of liquids from one vial to another blah 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 um but they had these eppendorf pens when i was a grad student and they looked like little pipettes but they're little ballpoint pens i still have one Wait. that i treasure and cherish but i was really looking for eppendorf to get more pens oh i don't this have mine on my, my desk. life as a tenured faculty member Oh, Patrick. Hold like, on. Hold on. Patrick's, 
Boom. Oh Got my it. gosh. Oh, well, there that's a fancier one. See, that's a new version. Mine is the totally old one version. that like has the little round <laughs> top. Anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, but none of y'all could see that, but I have an Eppendorf yeah, was, pen. Exactly like what Sarah's saying. He's got he's got cred. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But you were you were gonna tell us something, Patrick. I yes, think sorry. Oh, something was important. I, I doubt yes. it, but I'll try. Um right. so you moved. we uh, I did, I did. Things happened. Um moved? I was well, I moved differently within ASM, American Society of Microbiology. I was uh, a committee member for the Applied Environmental Sciences track. There's seven tracks that are sort of broken out in that conference, and they focus on different stuff within microbiology. And Applied Environmental Science is a pretty broad one. There's lots of stuff there. So I went from a committee member to the track lead this year, which means administrative duties. So I have more of those now. Relations? Question mark. You see how none, neither of us are sort of like <laughs> jumping to congratulate you on that because we're not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, you know it's one of those things like being a reviewer where somebody needs to do it, so it might as well be me. Yeah, but it's cool. I mean, we get to do the planning and make big and small decisions, and that's yeah. fun. Um, cool. Other stuff. I switched jobs. I went from being at Bayer Environmental Science, which was then divested to a company called Enview. And now I am at a company called AgBiome. And the entire point of AgBiome is go find microbes from the environment, see if they do cool stuff in agriculture like biofungicides, biopesticides, et cetera, et cetera, and then uh, commercialize them. So you can have your, um, one of our biggest customers in the Pacific Northwest is actually a whole bunch of hop companies in Washington state. And huh. so, right. It's pretty cool. So they're taking, you know, this biological fungicide approach, which is pretty rad. So the goal of the company, well, there's many of them, but one of them is to decrease the use of petrochemicals. And this isn't just like, let me tell you about how great my company is. Um, <laughs> but the reason that I bring it up is because one of the goals of the position that I'm in now is to publish research. Oh, very cool. So it's a really neat situation because there's this massive strain collection, but the company also partners with people in academia mm -hmm. to utilize data, the collection itself, et cetera, et cetera, to do projects. As long as they don't infringe an intellectual property, then it's all good. So I think that it's this really amazing mix of do the science, find the stuff you're going for a product but along the way you create you know petabytes of data can we use the data in a way mm -hmm. that gives something back to science at least a little something you know and i'm really stoked about the fact that that is part of where i am now right. you know so patrick i'm super yeah. excited and what i heard from what you just said was that you are coming to the Northwest to do a beer tour with me. That, is uh, that, yes. I'm just somewhat paraphrasing, but that's, I heard that loud. It's a little there. paraphrasing. It's just, that's, <laughs> that's a little filter, a little Jason filter that Patrick yeah. Florence went into. No, that's yeah, exactly that's what, what I said. And there was something Jason. about a job and stuff too. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, but yeah, I heard yeah. beer. Yes. Right. Well, the job, the job is immaterial to the outcome. But um, what I actually, you know, Jason, I think we need to plan this is uh, I think my favorite small conference is Volcano Conference, and it's held by UW. It's in Pack Forest in, oh. Eaton, in Eatonville, yeah. Washington. Yeah. Eatonville, yeah. 
It's in the middle of nowhere. It is great. It is idyllic and the sites are fantastic. And it's this tiny biological chemistry conference and they have massive big name speakers. Like their plenary speaker last year was Emily Balskis. And she is huge in chemistry and microbiome work. Like wow. her lab, her, if, if they made Nike air Balskises, I'd probably wear some. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm, yeah. I'm a super fan. But, you know, we just need to time it so the beer tour coincides with so the conference. Thing, right. You know, I've been thinking about is that we should get together and record a live version of this podcast from a conference. Oh, let's do Maybe it. Maybe like a science communication conference. Let's I think do we it. We missed yes. out on the application on the submission for science talk, which always happens in Portland. Oh, yeah. I like Portland. Has happened in Portland for the last couple of years that I know. Of, but it's the meeting of the annual or the Association of Science Communicators now, I think it's called. Um, it's called Science Talk. But one thing we might consider is meeting up and like actually recording at one of these as we wander around the science communication <laughs> things or something. I don't know, you know. With, with beer. With, yeah, with, I mean, okay, here we go. Now I have to admit that science communication conferences don't necessarily have free beer in the exhibit halls at 10 a.m. in the what? morning. What? I know. I am can really disappointed to hear. I know. Can, we can have you to be get our own, but then we probably wouldn't be allowed in. So, you know. Um, I, so wow. one of the things I will say, I so I don't drink personally because I uh, am... I'd like to tell people I'm too Asian, but I'm not actually sure if I should say that. Anyway, I said it um, because I don't I don't metabolize alcohol very well. Right. Just genetically, I think. Uh, I don't know. Patrick can probably tell me more about this. But oh, I, I work on microbes. If it's got a nucleus, it's too complicated for me. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> anyway, so I don't it doesn't function well, but I have been I do like the taste of beer and I have been enjoying the non-alcoholic. Um, mm, yeah. Awesome. There's a big boom in non-alcoholic. There totally yeah. There's yeah. some really good ones. Yeah, I've had. I Portland should have. Yes. I mean, I think we need to investigate it for science. Yeah, of course. For science. And then communicate about it. Right. For science. Right. But, but to finish this off, I have one more thing that I have learned about SciComm recently that I did not know was a thing. So because I am not in academia uh, exclusively any longer, like the other two excellent people who have been talking, um, there is a thing called an industry highlight. So we got solicited by the um, the journal Trends in Biotechnology, which is part of Cell Press. And they do this short one to two page format where if you are a bio, I've only seen them for biotech. It might be more than that, but, you know, because the journal is Trends in Biotechnology. They give you the opportunity to talk, talk about the science that a company does. It's not meant to be a company pitch. You're not talking about hmm. products necessarily. You're just talking about the science that you do. And so I saw one, where was it from? It might've been Hexagon. Hexagon's a natural products company focusing on fungi out of San Diego, San Francisco, somewhere in California. I know those cities are different, but they're both hubs of biotech. So <laughs> it's somewhere in California and it's a rad company. And, um, you know, they talk about what they're finding and all that good stuff. And uh, so we're we're writing one. And it is a new type of article that I have not done before because you do a figure that sort of puts all your pieces together, a nice summary figure. And then along the side, you add key facts about, like, why you care, whom gives a damn about it, like, 
important little tidbits that you don't normally have because i mean in every other article i've read i love this idea yeah I love this idea. one thing I'm, I'm thinking about is that it's going to other scientists it is it right? is um yeah 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 so <clears throat> excuse me i think part of it is that one of the reasons that it's published is to point out what the science is and then hopefully get collaborations between oh, academia cool. and yes. industry so you can say you know we do all these things yeah. come play with our strain collection our pipeline or what have you yeah i mean it's part of i mean i think there's been a big push for workforce development in the sciences and in stem in general and so I, yeah that's a Hmm, so I learned I learned that type of article. It's a short form. It's a quick read. You know, it's huh. like that's cool. it's like the it's like the tweet of science, yeah. basically. Do you think articles are just going to get shorter? <laughs> just I just you know, in, in terms uh, of most information that we encounter is just like gotten into. Just I I think it's the advent of social media, this kind of thing, right? Everything, our attention spans maybe are shorter. I don't know how many of us read. But there's some. I mean, there's some journals, especially the ones that are like completely online. That I mean, there are journals that just don't have page limits, right? Yeah. So there are yeah. longer format. <clears throat> Uh, papers going on. I don't know that that's necessarily a great thing, right? Like, I, I'm not going to read a 50 page paper yeah. or whatever. I don't so you stop reading bad. Cell? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, or, that, was, that was a dig on Cell because their their picture their figures have like you know yeah. A through H or oh, head panels. panels. I yeah. had just these I had a really things. funny uh, experience with Cell. Uh, press in one of the publications that came out this year. Um, I have historically been involved, very closely involved in this, uh, in this pr these projects that were part of it with a large NCI cancer consortium. And I've recently handed it off to a really talented uh, younger investigator who I hired and it's been, it's worked out great. And she's basically taking the torch forward. And, um, you know, I still love the area, but so anyway, they wrote a review uh, for one of the cell press um, things, and I've done illustrations before. And they were and they were like, "Hey, can you do this illustration that you did for this previous paper, but do it in kind of more of a summary form and add this extra stuff in?" And I was like, "Sure, I can do that." So I drew up this whole thing. We went through multiple iterations, um, and that was how my my authorship on the paper was kind of. I mean, I read through the paper. And I, I commented and stuff, but that's so you didn't how just I was draw thinking. random things. <laughs> draw <laughs> random things, right? That is random stuff. Junk. I just drew a bunch of cartoons. Um, but the but the really funny thing is, is that we sent it to Cell Press, and they were like, "Oh, this is great. We'll have our illustrators get right on uh, producing the final <laughs> thing in oh. the format." And they oh. they replicated the entire figure that I'd drawn out, only with straighter lines. Does that constitute plagiarism? I'm just curious about that. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that it was implied in one of those emails that I, it, you know, I agreed to this, right? That I was at, that what I was doing was actually providing a a, a draft figure rather right. than a final figure. Right. And I was so like, what no, you should have done was put less thing. energy into right? that because they would have <laughs> straightened the line. I okay. Uh, no, it was I I. I say it like that. It, it actually, the, the figure turned out great. I can see that my input was important because I did like a lot of the layout and like how things, the visualization aspects were all there. It was just funny to have this like part of the 
the the charm of the figure is that it's hand drawn with a little yes. bit of a cartoony feel to it and there was nothing funny there was no whimsical elements in there but it was you know kind of like that and they were like yeah let's let's just do that in the cell because cell has a very rigorous um uh set of kind of visual guidelines and visual like all of their figures are very similar and when they mm -hmm. said that i was like oh yeah i kind of see that right they have their illustration team do that so well anyway. congratulations you kept a whole bunch of illustrators employed a plus i know right yeah either that or they just fed it into uh mid journey <laughs> or something yeah it was generative ai right so uh so this has been great conversation. I've really uh, enjoyed catching up with you guys, and I've missed this. I missed it. We got to get back. We got to get back to the uh, the regular uh, occurrence. We do. I, I we did have some... one person ask about like, where's the podcast? It's a thing that yeah. should be in the world, and I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I've had a, I've had a few different people from my like work slash family environment uh commenting on like hey i listened to your podcast and it, you know i really like this part and i was like that's great and we'll add that to our our tally of <laughs> handful of Two. people plus one <laughs> right yeah so anyway I, I think it's probably a good time for us to wrap it up and uh thank everyone for listening and we will be back uh, very shortly with another installment and a, a very special guests of uh, Planet Sidecom. So thank you, everybody. <laughs>